Well, in this series, we um, spent the last several weeks in Mark chapter uh, 12 looking at uh, the great commandment and uh, Jesus giving, uh, giving us really uh, simplifying something that was uh, very complicated at the time. And so in week one of this series, we talked about uh, the rich young ruler specifically, a man who was rich, who was young, uh, who ruled, you know. And uh, he was a guy who came to Jesus and goes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, uh, what do I do? What must I do to, to be saved? How do I have eternal life? And Jesus' response back to him uh, was very, very profound. He, he looks at the man, knowing that he was very rich, knowing that he was very wealthy and powerful, looks to the man and says this, says, If you want to follow me, if you, if you want eternal life, then you must sell everything that you own. And that was very troubling to the man. In fact, it says that, that he became very sad and that he, he walked away. And so Jesus tells him this because Jesus' response to him, knowing that his heart was where this man's wealth and power was, Jesus knew that he would not be able to hold on to those things and follow him because he knew that that's what would stand between him and fully pursuing Jesus. And so we asked a very simple question, but a very hard question is, what stands between you and Jesus? Like, what is it that stands between you and the ability to be able to fully pursue Christ? And so we spent time just repenting of those things and laying those things out before the Lord. And then two weeks ago, we looked at specifically the great commandment where a man comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And this was a pretty legit question, really, if you think about it, because When he says this to Jesus, he's referring to the fact that there are 613 commandments written in the law. And so he comes to Jesus and says, so which one is the the greatest? Which one is the most important? And Jesus' response back to him is he takes something very complicated and he makes it very simple. He quotes uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus together in Mark chapter 12 and says, uh, says to him, he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart your mind, your soul, and your strength. It says this is the greatest commandment, and then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's he's basically saying this. He's saying as you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, as you pursue him with your soul, as you pursue him with your mind, you engage your mind in pursuit of him, the overflow of that will be the strength. Therefore, what comes out of doing those things will be how you love others. And so in week two, we ask the question, where are our affections? Are they on Jesus? Is Jesus our greatest treasure? And then last week, we looked at what it means to actually love the Lord with all of our minds. How do we engage the Lord with our minds? And so if you haven't had a chance, maybe you missed some of those in the series, or maybe this is your first time at the Ridge, uh, I encourage you to go and and listen to those online at ridgechurch.cc and just uh, get your mind around those. But even if you've missed any of those, I think today will be uh, equally as important to uh, just even if it stands alone by itself. Because what happens here in the first part of the commandment, let's just take a look at it. Mark chapter 12, let me read it to you. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. It says this, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now, it's very important there that, that we get this. I think sometimes we can just skim over this because we've heard it a million times maybe for some of us. And it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. But r- r- look at the emphasis here that he uses. He says, all of. That means that every part of us, every piece of us is fully engaged in pursuing and loving Jesus. That means that we can't compartmentalize our relationship with Christ. That means we're either all in or we're not. And so he said, all of your mind, not part of your mind, all of your soul, not part of your soul, all of your heart. And so that means that that we have to either be all in, we're either all in or we're not. It's not, well, I think on Sundays I'm all in, but Monday, Monday's a little dicey, you know, I'm kind of feeling Sunday a little bit still, so I'm kind of partly in, but then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, especially Saturday, I ain't all in. And if you're okay with that, then we've got to talk about some other things. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's emphasizing this. He's saying, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength. And he goes on, he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so um, the overflow of pursuing the Lord with our, all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, the overflow will be how we love others the same way that Jesus loves us. And that's what we're going to take a look at today is, is the overflow of that, the actual action part of this because that you see the loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds, those are the things that, that we're doing with Him. And that's sort of the, the vertical response. There is also a horizontal response. Our relationship with Christ, if you're a believer, it is both vertical and it is also horizontal. Vertical meaning our relationship with him and the horizontal meaning this is what comes out of us toward others. And so that's why a few weeks ago I said this because it's very true. It's a spiritual impossibility for us to say that we love the Lord to say that we are followers of Christ, to say that we are believers, that we are Christians, it is a spiritual impossibility for us to say that, but then to turn around and say, but I hate these people. Because of the way that they look, because of the way that they act, because of the color of their skin, because of their sexual orientation. Listen, it is a spiritual impossibility for us to say that. Because the overflow of loving the Lord with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength will be loving our neighbor. It's what comes out of us. And so, what does that look like? Well, in uh, Acts, I'm sorry, not Acts, we'll get to that in just a second. In Luke chapter 10, there's another exchange that Jesus has that a, a lawyer comes up to him and, and basically presses Jesus for the, for the same uh, question And Jesus looks at the lawyer, and I love what Jesus does. Jesus is like, hey, you're a lawyer. You know the law. You tell me, like, what's the greatest commandment? And so the lawyer responds with the same way that Jesus has responded here. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way the lawyer responds. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right. That's awesome. Congratulations. And then he says this. I love what he does next. He kind of just drops a bomb on him. He's like, you've got all the knowledge you know what you're supposed to say. Now, go and do it. Because if you want to live, go and do it. That's what he says. And so 
So there's an action that goes along with this. And that's how we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our strength. And so let's look at Acts chapter 3 real quick. Acts chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. There's a uh, passage here in Acts 3 where we see uh, Peter who is the, the Apostle Peter. We, we know a little bit about Peter. If you're familiar at least a little bit with your Bible, you know that, that Peter was a fisherman. Just to catch you up, if you don't know, that's okay. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, why don't you stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men? He says, Drop your nets and follow me. And so Peter drops his nets, leaves everything, begins to follow Christ, and as he follows Christ all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see these interactions that this man Peter has with Jesus. And listen, here's the thing. Peter doesn't always get it right. In fact, most of the time, Peter completely jacks the whole thing up. I mean, there are a lot of times when when Peter will get it right and Jesus is like, man, that's awesome, that's great. And then there are other times when Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Like he calls Peter Satan. I don't know if you've ever been called Satan before. It probably ain't cool, right? Especially when Jesus calls you that, right? And so, like, that's, he calls Peter that. And so, like, so they, they just kind of have this relationship. And then when we get to the end of the Gospels, Jesus, on his last night together with his disciples, they're sitting in an upper room together. They're breaking bread and, and eating with one another. And, you know, it's kind of kind of got like a party atmosphere going on and then jesus just kind of is like okay so here's the deal like tonight's the last night i'm gonna see any of you you know and then he looks at peter and he says oh and by the way you're gonna deny me three times peter's like what not me like that's never gonna happen like i'm all in jesus i'm all in it's not gonna happen and then a little later on jesus is arrested he is taken before Pilate, and as he is taken before Pilate, just before he is crucified, we see an interaction that Peter has in Luke 22, where Peter gets sort of pressed by a middle school girl who comes up to him and is like, hey, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? No, not me. No, 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 no. You were the, uh, we saw you, like, we, we saw you hanging out with Jesus. No, you got the wrong guy. She's like, no, 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 no. We know that you were with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, not me. And then, bam, rooster crows. Peter realizes, if you look in Luke 22, you can see this exchange. Peter realizes what has just taken place, and his eyes meet with Jesus. You talk about an awkward moment? That's an awkward moment, right? And then it says that he went away and he wept bitterly. And so I don't know about you. Anybody in here ever had just one of those embarrassing moments? Like you've just been embarrassed by something? Like... You know, like I had a uh, day one time where I locked my keys in my car twice in the same day at the same gas station, eight hours apart. Seriously, no joke. I was a little embarrassed, like the second time around. The first time was bad enough. The second time was even worse, right? Like I, I, I've had, and I could go on. Like we could just, I could just do a whole sermon on embarrassing moments. We've all had those embarrassing moments. Well, Peter just had an embarrassing moment, didn't he? He, he had. He had several of those. And so when we see what's about to take place here in Acts chapter 3, this Peter is not the same Peter that we see in the Gospels. He is completely different. He is completely changed. And why is that? We'll, we'll see that here in just a second. But look at what happens here in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John 
We're going up to the temple or the church. You could look at it that way. Going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And so here's a man who is crippled, cannot walk. He's being laid at the steps of the church every single day of his life. Now, people are going in and out all day long, and they're seeing this guy. And as they see this guy, they do, let's be honest, what some of us have done before. Uh, I'm going to go this way. Or no, I'm going to walk around this way. Let's take, the, let's take the back door. Let's go in the back way. Let's, you know, let's, let's avoid this one every single day right there. Here comes Peter and John. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, meaning he's, he's begging, he's wanting money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You think? You think they were a little amazed? I mean, they were a little bit amazed, right? Like they, they were like, hey, we know this guy. We see him every single day. Like we avoid him every single day. We know that he can't walk. Now he's walking. What's up? Crazy, right? It's it's miraculous it's 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 a miracle and here's the thing remember what jesus said love your neighbor as yourself do for them what you wish someone would do for you and so instead of avoiding the mess peter and john walked into the mess instead of walking away from the mess instead of avoiding it they actually walk right into the mess and now here's the thing here's what peter and john did not do they did not walk up to the guy and remind the guy that he's in a mess because people who are in a mess don't need to be reminded that they're in a mess do they because let's be honest let's for, for a moment i know we're in church we don't always do this but let's be honest today uh <laughs> we're all messy we're all messy. We've all been in a mess. Some of you are in a mess now. But if we're all being honest, we're all messy. Life is messy. It gets sticky. It gets dirty. And the last thing that you need is somebody going up to you and going, Hey, you're in a mess. Really? No kidding. Duh, right? The man, the man at the steps didn't need to be reminded that he was in the mess. He needed somebody, listen church, he needed somebody to pull him out of the mess. To love him, to love him, the neighbor, the way that Christ shows his love for us. And so they gave him the one thing that he needed most. It wasn't money, they gave him Jesus, right? They gave him the love 
of Christ. And so what is it that, that propels us? What is it that, that can send us into this type of love? Well, let's take a look at one last passage of Scripture and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chap, chapter 5. This is what, and, and maybe you're asking yourself this question, is if you're a believer here and, and, and maybe you think to yourself, because I'm just going to be honest with you, loving other people can be hard. It's not easy. It's not easy. People grate on us. People are mean to us. We don't like certain people. Listen, I know I'm, you know, I'm normal like you. I have people in my life like that too, and I'm reminded constantly that I need to love them the way that Christ has shown his love for me. Even though I may not want to, I'm still called to do it. I'm not called to walk around the mess. I'm called to walk into the mess. And so sometimes, sometimes, not all, not, let me rephrase that, all the time, not sometimes, but all the time, we're called to step into that mess as believers. If you're a believer, it's what you're called to. Let me show you what I mean by that. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse, uh, let's pick it up in 13. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, writing to the church in uh, Corinth. And he is uh, encouraging them with this. He says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And so your translation may say, For if we are... We seem to be a little bit crazy. I know that one of the translations says that. It says, if, if we seem to be a little bit out of our minds, if we seem to be a little bit crazy, then it is for God. If we seem to be a little more sane, then that means it is for you. And so he's saying that when we go out, when we preach, when we speak, when we are around unbelievers, it's probably going to seem like we're a little bit crazy. And he's saying, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to be a little bit uh, crazy for God. Would you not agree, believers? Would you agree with that? It's it's okay for us to be, and when I say crazy, like, I don't mean like crazy, crazy, like you need to be committed crazy, like you probably need to take some medication for that crazy, but like crazy as in the sense like, did he just say that? Like, I can't believe, like, I can't, really? Like, he's telling me about the love of Jesus in the middle of Starbucks, in the middle of Chick-fil-A, in the middle of, like, it's kind of crazy. And so, Paul says, it's okay to be crazy for God. Um, there have been times, I know, for us as a church, that, that we have asked ourselves the question, I think, are, are, are we being a little too crazy for God? Like, like is what we've been called to, is it a, a little bit too crazy? And and then I'm constantly reminded of how we've been called to walk into the mess, to, to step into the messes and, and not to avoid the messes. Um, they, I mean, just some of the stories I could tell you. We, we, had a, uh, we had a little boy here one time in our kids' ministry who decided to retell the story of Zacchaeus using expletives. And we were like, that's a little crazy. But that's who God's called us to read. We had a guy get baptized here um, couple of years ago and uh if you don't know if you've never been baptized here the water's cold <laughs> Lindsay, cold <laughs> and uh and so he got in the water and he decided to let everybody in here know how cold it was with an expletive right and 
everybody like it was kind of it was kind of funny because you know uh people you know sitting out here some people were like oh my gosh i can't believe he just said that and i'm like but that's that's why we do this um yeah we uh one of our pastors came to me uh after a service one day, and he was telling me a story that had, had happened um, in here, uh, and he said that somebody had asked him, he said, hey, why does it smell like cat pee in here? And he said, that's not cat pee. It's what somebody on meth smells like. I, uh, I baptized a guy who, after the service, had, had given his life to Christ. We were doing baptisms already, and he came to me after the service, and and uh, actually, everybody had already started to file out of here. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I just gave my life to Christ. And I just want to tell you a little bit of my story. He said, uh, I've, been, I've literally been drunk for several days, like just constantly on a binge. And you could tell, like as, he, like, as he began to get a little closer, something else came before he actually got to me. And that was the smell of alcohol, right? Like, I mean, it just, it just got to me before he got to me. And you could just tell... And, but he's confessing these things and repenting of these things, and, and he's saying how he had given his life to Christ, and so we dunked him, we baptized him, we sobered him up, and, you know, because I mean that, that water's cold, like, that'll sober you up really, really quick. So it kind of worked both ways, you know, so it was, like, really good. But, like, it, it's one of those things, like, and, and here, like, we ask ourselves the question sometimes, it's like, man, are, are we, like, crazy? Like, does anybody else deal with these things? Like, I could tell you stories about just some of the things that we find in the offering baskets at the end of services sometimes. And you'd be like, what? It's crazy. And we're a little crazy. And it's okay. Because God has called us to step into the messes and not to walk around them. And, I, and so I, I love this story of, of Peter, how he walks right in to the mess but when paul comes back and writes this to the church in corinth he says if we seem a bit, to be a little bit crazy it's because it's for god he goes on listen to what he says next <clears throat> says there uh, uh let's pick it up 15 or 14 i'm sorry for the love of christ controls us it, yours may say compels us meaning that's what pushes us that what that is what propels us uh being compelled means it is the compulsion, it's the driving force behind us. And so it's the love of Christ that propels us, that controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Some of you... Um, some of you here are believers, and you've been believers for a really long time. You've walked with Christ for a long time. Do you remember what it was like when he rescued you? Or do you remember that moment when, when you gave your life over to him, when you felt him drawing you? For those of you that are believers, do you remember that feeling? I bet for many of you that, that in that moment, it was in that moment, whether you were very young or maybe it just happened to, a few months ago or weeks ago, but, but at, at that moment in your life, you can probably think back to this for those of you who are believers, and you can probably remember that moment, and you just felt like, 
ah, you were just excited, right? Like you were just, man, you were so excited about that. And then you probably uttered these words at some point, either that day or very close to that. You probably uttered these words to God and you said, God, whatever you want. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will say whatever you want me to say. I am all in. Let's go. And then life happens. And he's like, wait, 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 I thought you said whatever, whenever, however. Yeah, yeah, but you, like this happened and now, I don't know. Like the past happened. College happened. Life happened. The divorce happened. Bad financial decisions happened. The bad relationship happened. It happened. Now you're going, I don't know if I can. And I would bet that for many of you as believers who find yourself in that place, and you think to yourself, I don't know, like, I want to be compelled. Like, I want to, I want to step out in that same way. I want to be all in like that. But life is messy. My life is messy. Like, I can't deal with anybody else's mess because I'm still dealing with my mess. Like, my mess is messy. I can't deal with anybody else's mess. And that's why Paul says this. He says, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And here it is. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means if anyone is a believer, if anyone is saved, if anyone is following Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. You're not the same person. You're not the same person. You're like, yeah, but the mess happened after I became a believer. Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion paid for the debt of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. To save you and to pull you from the mess. And to be a reminder to us that that love is what compels us and pushes us to walk directly into other people's mess, even if we've got a mess of our own. Even if we've got a mess of our own. Christ's death breaks the power of sin so that believers, you and I, may live for the purposes of God, to walk directly into the messes. And I know that we might look at we might look at, at some people's mess and we might think to our to ourselves, you know what, I, I don't know like I don't know what else I can do. Like I I don't know like I, I'll walk into their mess with them, but I, I don't know what else I can do for them. I don't know what else I can like I've done everything that I know how to do and maybe it feels like that, you know, it's not getting any better. Like nothing is happening there. And that's why Paul says that that he says that we used to regard people, we used to look at them in the flesh. We also used to look at Jesus in the flesh. You see, what you have to understand is that there is something going on behind the scenes that you don't even know about. You don't know how God's working in their life. You don't know what God's doing behind the scenes that you can't see. 
But you just need to understand and know that he wants to use you to step into that mess with them. You do the natural, you let God do the supernatural. And the natural is walking into the mess. Um, I love uh, how this finishes out. Verse 18 says this, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, meaning saved us, rescued us, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that God saved you, believer, Christian, God saved you so that you would step into the uh, two other messes with other people, that he gave you the ministry of rescue, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And he encourages them. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, in uh, the book of Romans he writes a letter to the, the people in Rome. And in the very uh, first opening couple of lines in that, in Romans 1.16, Paul writes this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. This message of reconciliation that we're talking about, this message of rescue, he says, For I am not ashamed of that. Like, I am not ashamed of that. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so maybe you have never said that you, as a believer, that you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never, maybe like Peter, no one's ever pressed you and said, hey, wait, you're one of those believers, right? You're one of those Christians. And maybe you've never said no to that. Or maybe you've never... Um, maybe you've never denied knowing him, or maybe you've never uh, denied that, that you were a believer. But maybe there have been times when you have purposely avoided the mess. Maybe there have been times when you have purposely walked around the messiness. That you have avoided stepping into the mess with other people even though you know that that's what you're called to do. I'm here to encourage you this morning that God calls us to step into the messes. He calls us to run to them, to not avoid them, but to step into them. Regardless of your past, regardless of how jacked up you think your life was, and so... Maybe you think that because your life being what it was, that, that you've been disqualified from stepping into the mess with, any, with anybody else. Je Peter denied knowing Jesus. David, the man who wrote many of the Psalms that we read here every Sunday, one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, King David slept with a woman who was not his wife and then had her husband murdered 
I don't know what you've done. I don't know that it compares to that. Okay? But Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. Still used him. Still had him step into the mess. Paul, the man who is writing these words that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That man, (laughs) that man had people who believed that gospel put to death before Jesus pulled him out of his mess and had him running into the messes. My daughter, Emerson, she, um, not too, uh, it's been a, a year or two ago, maybe. She was still in her crib, but she was able to stand up and speak. She's asleep right now. <laughs> but uh, she uh, woke up in the middle of the night one night, and she uh, was calling out for daddy. That's what she does. She wakes up in the middle of the night, and she calls out for daddy. I don't know, like, how do you train your children to call for mama? Like, how does that, we need to figure that one out. But um, but she's calling out for daddy, and so I, I get up, and I, I walk down to her room, and walk into her room. As I walk into her room, a lot of times I'll just walk into her room and just pick her up and, you know, take her back to bed. And, I, and some of y'all heard this story before, but um, I pick her up, and uh, but I walk into the room this time, and I, as I walk into the room this time, I decide to turn the light on. And I'm so glad that I did because she's sitting in her crib, and, and she's got her hands up, you know, and she's just, you know, crying, and, and, and I look down at her, and she is literally covered from head to toe in vomit not like and, and sitting in it like in it you know like in a pond you know it was the grossest thing i'd ever seen in my life and uh and and, and she's you know she's doing this and and so i looked down at her and i i did what any parent would do i turned around and i walked right out and called for my wife <laughs> No, I did what any real parent would do, and I picked her up. And so instead of avoiding the mess, I got down into the mess. And, he, and listen, here, here's, what I, here's what I love about that story is as I'm picking her up out of the mess, you know, sometimes when you step into the mess with people, you step into it, and one of the best things that could ever happen to you is when you step into the mess with somebody is that you turn around and you see that you're not the only one standing in the mess with them. And my wife was standing behind me with a towel ready to help clean her up out of the mess. So as, as a church, listen, we as a church here at Rich Church, we are called, we, we've known this from day one and this will always be the case for us. We are called to walk directly into the mess why we do church the way that we do church because we know that listen people are messy because sin is messy and so therefore newsflash church is messy if you're afraid of a messy church you're in the wrong church it's going to be messy here and so we we have a recovery ministry on on tuesday nights recovery groups that meet here on tuesday nights you're like okay so that's where you do messy no 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 no. that's just part of the messy that we do like, oh, you're messy, go Tuesday. Don't show up on Sunday, just go Tuesday. That's not the way we do it here. And so if you're afraid of messy, 
it's probably not the place for you. I love you. If you're here for the first time today, we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're messy too. You're in the right place. But the beautiful thing is, is that as pastors, as elders, myself, Kevin, Jonathan, Rusty, other ministry leaders here, when we're doing ministry and we're stepping down into the mess on a regular, everyday thing, you know what's awesome is to turn around and look and to see other people standing there with us. You. Because it's not just pastors that are called to walk into the mess. It's believers who are called to walk into the mess. To run to it. Not to avoid it. Not to sidestep it. To walk right down into it. So Peter and John, after they healed this man, after they gave him what he needed most, which was Jesus, and the people inside of the church, this is so... Uh, just ironic to me. The people inside of the church look and see what has happened to this guy. See the fact that he is now walking and running and leaping and is healed. They look at him and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That ain't right. Like, what just happened here? And so they want to arrest Peter and John, and, and, and they do. And they want to put them on trial. And they're like, the funny thing is, is if you read Acts, the rest of Acts 3 and, and 4, they kind of get to the end of, of, of looking at this and they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. How are we going to arrest them for this? This is crazy. And so I love what they say at the end. They say, we're going to let you go because we perceive that you are uneducated, common, ordinary men, but you've been with Jesus. So we're going to let you go, but here's the deal. Don't say anything about this to anybody. Okay? Shh. Don't tell anybody. And I love what Peter says in Acts 4.20. He says this. He says, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. If you're a believer... My prayer for you is exactly that, is that you will not be able to help but speak of what you have seen and heard. And listen, what you have seen and heard may only be relegated to your own life. And if that is the case, then speak of that. If God has moved in your life, if God has rescued you from the mess, speak of that. If you have seen God rescue others from the mess, speak of that. But that you will not be able to help but be able to, to just speak of what you have seen and heard. That you will not be ashamed of the gospel. That you will not walk around the messes, but that you will walk right into the messes. Even if your life is messy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. God, we thank you for your love, how it compels us, God, how it makes us brave, how it increases our faith. God, when we seem to be leaning back from you instead of leaning in toward you. Father, make us brave to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be ashamed of you to not be able to help but speak of what we have seen and heard. God, to point people to you. God, to, to talk about our own messes, God, so that maybe it helps someone else in their mess. But to not be ashamed of how you have 
rescued us. Not be ashamed of what you have rescued us from so that we can point others to what you are saving us to. In your name we pray. Amen.